fight fans. This is round two, and I am your man, The Voice, MTMV Sports fight correspondent, and I have the pleasure of interviewing all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana, Ian Pompey, Pomfrey. What's going on, Ian? Hey, what's up, brother? What's up? It's a pleasure to be here too, man. All right. Pleasure to have you on now. Uh, just starting off, want to know how you got the nickname Pompey. <laughs> so, uh, funny story with that, man. Just all in complete honesty, you know, back when I'm 22 years old now, and uh, back when I was about 18, I found myself in a little trouble with the law mm. with uh, some uh, some it, some plant substances that are legal in some states and illegal in others. And unfortunately, in Indiana, it's illegal. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a uh, little bit of time in a county jail for a possession. And I uh, ended up, the guys there, they uh, all the inmates in there, they couldn't say my last name, Pomfret. So instead, they called it. They 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 called me Pompey. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So it kind of stuck there. And then after I did some research and read a couple books on the uh, the person Pompey, uh, Julius Caesar's youngest war general back in back in the day, uh, Julius Caesar appointed Pompey at 18 years old to be a war general, and he was actually one of the most fierce, vicious, and feared war generals to ever be in the history of mankind and youngest at that too so uh right it kind of fit that i was a young 18 year old who had high ambitions for mma and it hit the scene you know already a little ahead of the ahead of the curb talent wise and uh, skill wise i should say uh i had an early jump on everything so i you know coming into these this amateur league you know, I, I already feel I have to step up on these guys. So it just fit, you know what I mean? The, you know, Pompey, I was young, fierce, feared, and vicious and violent. Uh, it just it, it fit. Some people mistake it with uh, the volcano or the place Pompey, but it's actually mm-hmm. spelled it's, it's spelled after the, uh, the uh, former war general under Julius Caesar. Yeah, now I was unfamiliar with the war general. I knew that it was spelled differently. Because as I was preparing for things, I used my voice dictation to say your name, and it came up spelled as the volcano, which was all I knew of. So I I was wondering about your nickname, and that is that's phenomenal. And and for you to get that information at that time when you were the same age as he was when he was commissioned to be a general, yeah. That's, that's pretty apropos. That's what's up. Yeah, That's what's yeah, up. it worked, man. It worked because you know they always told me you can't, you can't give yourself your own nickname, and I always wondered what it was going to be, and I just right then, right after it, right after that happened, I knew it stuck. Right. I wasn't proud of where I got it. I wasn't happy with the location I was in when I obtained the nickname, but you know we got it. We got to We got to all have our struggles to learn why not to make those mistakes again. Right. Well, that, I mean, and also it's just a good kind of redemption story that you were able to gain a name and really reshape yourself uh, in yeah. in that kind of situation. So, and, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, uh, a, a female that uh goes to a college in uh, Indiana, she goes to IU, 
she actually heard of my story and made a whole documentary on it of my, you know, my downfall and redemption story. And it, uh, actually, it was in Indiana's film festival, and now it's mm-hmm. been picked up by New York's film festival and Orlando's film festival, and we're in negotiations with two more film festivals right now across the East Coast. So that's nice. so that's really cool too. You know what I mean? The whole, like you said, the redemption story and stuff. It's nice to uh, be able to inspire. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and that's a phenomenal way to inspire. I know that you said that this is playing in different film festivals. Uh, Is there any way to see it outside of those? Not yet, because how the film festival scene works is once we agree to let them air it, they technically have the rights for it until the film festival's over. So then during these film festivals, if a higher-up, organization or uh, director sees my film and likes it and wants to go somewhere with it, he can come to the director of the film, Hannah West, and make her an offer to make it into a bigger or major motion picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of these these films are really, they've started off as short films by small-time people and directors, and then higher up, uh, major motion pictures and directors see these and buy the rights from these small-time people and then make it into a bigger thing. Kind of how, uh, if you're familiar with Conor McGregor's latest, his movie, The Notorious, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. on Netflix now and everything. That actually was owned by a smaller-time director that has been documenting Conor since the beginning, right? And then Universal bought the rights from that guy for everything and made it into a major motion picture documentary. So it can kind of go the same way. Um, I, I'm very confident that's the route it'll go. I'm not sure if it'll blow up now, but I know it's inevitable once I hit the scene. Someone will see these that, that footage from back when I'm 22 years old now, and they will want the rights for it, and they will make it into a major motion picture as well. Hey, well, I'm honored to be getting in on the ground floor of things, and I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward to seeing it. And whenever... It is placed in any kind of festivals. I ask that you let me know so that we can let all of the MTMV Sports family know about it so they'll be able to get out and see it themselves and support. Absolutely, man. And like I said before, the pleasure is all mine to be here speaking with you right now and take and, uh, you're taking the time out of your night to talk to me. I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm honored and uh, privileged to be speaking with, with you as well. All right, now. Stated who you were, but I did not share with the people. I mean, obviously, I'm the fight correspondent, so there's got to be some kind of fight aspect to things. But for the fight fans out there who may not be familiar, now, and before I go f- further, because you said your last name, and I believe I mispronounced uh, it because I thought it rhymed with the name Pompeii. But right, I right, right. French. So it, yes, it, it, yes, it's actually French. It's pomfret for. Uh, it, okay. it actually means French fry in French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I took French uh, many, many moons ago, and I know uh, that potatoes were uh, uh, palm palm to something. It was like yeah, palm freeze. Yeah, yeah pom- well, yeah, palm freeze. I'm, yeah, that that's uh, French fries, uh, but uh, palm de tail, palm de tail. Uh, is okay. A that's 
the word for a potato, and it means uh, apple of the ground. So, okay. Uh, All yeah. right. So, uh, so now, yeah, I think Pompeii is better than French fries. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I had to go a different route. Yeah, I mean, unless we're talking about uh, rallies or checkers fries, then, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm, uh, yeah. Now I'm right, my but... mouth water. <laughs> All right, well, I, uh, again, you are a fighter. You're an amateur fighter, undefeated. And your first fight was in June of 2017. And all of your fights have been under the Coliseum Combat banner. Is that correct? That is correct as of so far. Okay, as of so far. Uh, I know it seems like, at least from my research, that people may or may not want to fight you because outside (laughs) of Isaiah Watkins, Seems like everyone you were scheduled to fight has fallen out. Uh, specifically, Jordan Kreider dropped out twice. Uh, have you yeah. been able to fight anyone else? I mean, and were you able to really prepare for Isaiah Watkins, or is it just kind of a situation where everyone shows up and, um, you know, and whoever's available is available? How, how, how does it work as far as the fight scheduling is concerned? So, yeah, I mean, I've really had some – crappy luck i guess you could call it with uh opponent wise man you, like you said the only full camp i've had that kept the same name was isaiah watkins and uh i mean as you can see when i have a full camp for a set person you know that i get to study and watch and see his bad habits as you can see there was a finish in the first round there so that and I, you know, no excuses. I'm prepared and primed to fight anyone and everyone at any time, at any weight or rule set. But, however, it has been very ironic to me that I've out of my four opponents so far, only one has made it to fight night. And I think maybe part of that has to do with the uh, level of promotion and work ethic I put into uh, my social media and let them know. You know, every night I let them know I'm 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 still working. I'm still thinking about you, and I'm still working harder and longer than you. And I think that kind of adds up in their minds uh, when they see that every night. And I think that might have had something to do with why some of these guys haven't made it to fight night, especially Jordan Kreider. (laughs) Sounds like a potential grudge match uh, in the making, if ever he makes it to the uh, cage. He, I, I don't believe he wants to fight. It was actually just offered to him again for uh, my upcoming bout on November 17th, and uh, from what I am aware of, he respectfully declined, which is fine by me because he's not doing so hot anyway, and I'm trying to I, – I, I want to fight guys with momentum. I want to fight guys who think they are the next big thing. I want to fight the guys that think they are the best because I'm going to let them know who really is the best. And what better way to test yourself than against those who are at the top level? Absolutely. And How much as longer... many people as possible. Right. Right. Absolutely. As much exposure, and... you know, now. I want. I don't want to get to the UFC and learn like uh, you see some of these younger guys doing. Um, when I get to the when I get to the highest level, I will have seen it all already, and I will be prepared for anything. Cool. So, uh, with, well, that goes into. My next question, how much longer do you think you will ply your trade as an amateur? 
the pressure has already been there. I've had a couple, uh, uh, not even the promoters, I've had the actual uh, state athletic commission ask me, when do I plan on going pro? And, you know, uh, I talk with my coaches and especially with myself as well. And uh, I do a lot of research. I mean, I'm, I'm literally obsessed with this game. I, uh, I can't, I got, I, I go to the gym, I coach, I train, I come home, I eat clean, I study film, I watch footage. I just, I live this game. There's not a second that goes by that I'm not talking about it, thinking about it, doing something in some sort of way. So I'm, I already feel as if I am a pro. I feel as if I've done, I've been doing this already for so long now. And this is every day of my life. It's a routine. It's not even, it's not even an option to think about not going to the gym. But as fight-wise goes, like I said, I, I'm here for the experience, and uh, I, I still need to uh, get out of state. I still want to fight out, out of state. I want to fight, you know, maybe even out of country as an amateur to get that feeling before I even <clears> decide <throat> to go pro. Because I know once I do go pro, it, uh, it's, it's gonna nothing's changed. I'm gonna hit the ground running just like I have here. Um, it, nothing's gonna skip a beat because the work ethic isn't going to go up once I go pro because I'm already working at a pro level. And that's what, that's what separates me, I believe, from these amateurs and myself. All right. Well, you said that you've been at this for a while. How long have you been training? Uh, I began training. I walked into my first jiu-jitsu class when I was 12 years old. And okay. from there, uh, 12 to about 14, uh, Trained jiu-jitsu two to three times a week, also judo. And then at 14, I made the uh, conscious decision to uh, join re- my wrestling, my school's wrestling program because I had realized that, uh, you know, at the time, like seven out of the nine UFC champions or like five out of the seven UFC champions at the time back then were all wrestling dominant and had wrestling mm-hmm. backgrounds. So I knew if uh, I was serious about this. And ever since I was a child, I've always been about the bigger picture. I've always, you know, anything I've done has always tried to be in in light of the bigger picture, not the moment and now. So I knew going into wrestling, I was already at a disadvantage. I was a freshman in high school starting a sport that some some of these some of the best have been doing since they were three, you know. And right. I didn't go into there. I and I knew that was a disadvantage, but I also went there knowing that by the end of this, I'm going to give these guys that have been wrestling since they were three a run for the money, and I've only been doing this for three years. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Uh, I devoted myself to wrestling. And, at, yeah, after uh, 14 to my, you know, freshman year, uh, I was junior varsity, obviously, just getting experience under my belt. Probably had a half-and-half half career. Sophomore year, made varsity. Literally went zero and thirty-two on the year. I uh, didn't win a single match wow. my sophomore year, and I think that was a lot of me having to learn how to lose because I never was good at losing. Because I was always—I don't want to say—I don't believe in talent, but I do believe in natural ability and natural understanding of things. And I, I already had a natural understanding of jujitsu and judo. I was never—I never—I uh, I need to think of a problem. I was never poor at it. I was—I never sucked. I was always decent and then got better. So then once I got into wrestling. I, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, I sucked right off the right off the get go. I know I knew my jujitsu moves and I knew my judo moves, and if those didn't work, I was kind of in over my head. So then sophomore year, of course, stepping up in competition, going varsity, and still being you know uh, just going into my second year of wrestling, I definitely got my tail handed to me quite a few times. 
but it also taught me how to learn and it taught me how to lose. Mm-hmm. And I think that was huge for me now because my uh, my junior year coming back, I actually made it all the way to semi-state. And our part of me regionals, I placed in regionals. I was one place mm-hmm. away from making it to the semi-state round. And then nice. senior year, I senior year I came in, made it through half the season, and ended up getting taken out with an appendectomy. My appendix had failed on me and burst or perforated, I believe, was the term they used halfway through the season. And after the surgery that had the recovery time, it just wasn't in the timetable to make it back for another state run. So unfortunately, I had to lay it down a little early on my wrestling career. But I also think that is what drove me right from you know high school right into the the MMA gym back, you know, full-time except doing it full, you know, going all in, going striking classes, jiu-jitsu classes, MMA classes, you know. It was something to put my take my time up after my uh, wrestling season was over. So I, I, I kind of rambled on, but to long story short, I started this at 12 years old, and I am now 22, so I've been in some form of martial arts for 10 years now. All right. Yeah, a little over half of your life, that is quite a bit of time. And yes, I thank definitely. you for sharing the backstory. That That's why we're here. We're here to get to know you better. So, uh, so what you're doing is A-OK in my book. Excellent. Now, Excellent. Like you said, you, you started off, which was another one of my questions, what your first martial art was, and you uh, shared uh, three of uh, those martial arts. You started off with jiu-jitsu, moved on to incorporate judo in it, and then to wrestling. And looking at your record, that definitely shows. I mean, you've got two decisions and two submissions. So I figured that um, that part of the game was where your strength lies. Now, I see that you got two coaches listed, Jay Watkins, and I'm not even going to try the first name. I'm just going to say uh, Shinsei McGrady. Because, yeah, yeah, Ronez, uh, Ronez McGrady. Yeah. Ronez, okay, so it's just as it looks. I, I just did not want to mispronounce it. Oh, so, no uh, worries. Ronez no McGrady. Who, who uh, what do they, like, what do they do for you? Oh, so, well, Jay Watkins is my head coach. He acts as my head coach slash fight manager. Uh, fight, okay. you know, he, uh, and he's also my uh, head jiu-jitsu instructor. He's a uh, brown belt under Eddie Bravo himself. Okay. And uh, he's been in martial arts for probably as long as I've been on this earth. So it's been a – and, um, you know, Jay has saved my life, for lack of a better word. If it weren't for uh, Mr. Jay Watkins, I probably would be – still in jail or uh, probably not be on this earth without him. So he has acted not only as a head coach, a role model, a life coach, a, uh, a father figure. Uh, he's really just, like I said, he's taking care of me and I wouldn't be here and wouldn't have the success without his guidance and knowledge. And Ranez is also a uh, veteran of the fight game, has fought all over the world, all different sorts of rule sets, boxing, Thai, kickboxing, MMA, you know, uh, even more I could probably get into. He's fought in different styles there. He's just very insightful as well, a very, very good uh, psychological coach as well, as as much as he is a striking coach and a life coach. And they both just I, – I couldn't be in a better place. And Ronez is actually a blue belt 
under Dwayne Ludwig in the Bang Muay Thai system. So okay. I got two I got two great coaches under even better masters and uh they just it's it's just what we have going on is something special. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I saw in your social media information uh things about Tenth Planet uh, as well as Bang Muay Thai and now we know how those specific champs fit in with uh, with not French fry, but Pompeii. Pompeii. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Okay, one other thing that stood out to me as I was going through and uh, doing a little research, Chapology has you listed as a welterweight, whereas the underground has you listed as a middleweight. What weight class do you actually fight in? So I'm actually a little bit of uh, all of them. Uh, Tapology actually has me number one in the state at lightweight, has me number three at the state in welterweight and middleweight. And then underground, as you stated, has me as just a middleweight. I've weighed in at all of – three of my fights have been at 170 pounds. One of my fights have been at a catch weight of uh, – Really, it was a light heavyweight, but it was listed as a middleweight bout, and I can get into the details of that in a second. But also, I'm not even, you know, my weight, I'm very, I'm, uh, it's very hard to explain, but my weight is so flexible. Like right now, I'm walking around at 180 pounds flat, and there's no doubt in my mind I can make lightweight with ease. So it's just, uh, I can, I'm saving the, I'm saving the lightweight for, I think, next year, and I'm going to play with it. Or I'm gonna, or I'm gonna wait until I go pro. But uh, welterweight is an easy cut. It's a walk in the park, and I'm also not afraid to, uh, I'm not afraid to throw down with any of these amateur middleweights either, because I know I'm, I'm smarter, I'm faster, and I'm a little bit, I got a little more finesse and a little more swagger in there against those bigger guys. So I know how to, I know how to use my size against these bigger guys if I have to. So I'm not opposed to uh, going at any of them, but I do hold the uh, title at 170 pounds, and I would consider myself a welterweight as of now. Gotcha. All right. That that makes sense, and especially within the game, you see people move around weight classes regularly. I was speaking with my co-host of Aftermath, Josh Musil, and we were talking about Gegard Musasi, who has won championships at 205 and at 185. And he recently stated that for his last fight, he'd like to try his hand at welterweight. So it's not uncommon for people to kind of fight all over the place, just depending on uh, your ability to stick with the discipline necessary and find the proper weight for you. Where do you feel the best when you're fighting? You know, uh, like I said, I'm only four fights into this, too. I uh, I wrestled uh, – the majority of my wrestling career was at 170 pounds. So I knew okay. when I came in I was going to play with that weight right off the bat with MMA. Uh, every cut has been a little different. Uh, my first cut was probably my worst ever. And, you know, I'm not afraid to go into details of things. I probably started the camp at, like, 210 pounds. It was going to be my first amateur fight, and uh, I was very aware of what I was getting into. Uh, we had a nutritionist hired on board, but she came in toward the end of camp. So I didn't really get to seek and wreak the benefits of her. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was, it was just a very hard cut. I, uh, I cut about 
you know, 40 pounds to make that 170 mark. I made the weight, uh, felt great after, refueled after, probably bulked back up to about 195 on fight night, and I felt great in there. Uh, I think uh, the the jitters alone and the first fight alone of just, you know, wanting to get that spectacular finish kind of gassed me out toward the end of the uh, later rounds later rounds and that might have had to go into why the decision happened and I think I just realized that I needed to be more proficient and efficient with my energy in there I did I needed to realize that uh and I knew this but everyone talks about it your first fight ever uh, everyone uh, us fighters kind of have a little running joke about it your your, your game plan kind of goes out the window everything you do just kind of goes blank and you're just it's instinct in there and, and it, I think that's what's very really important with amateur as well. It's just you got to get comfortable in there. And I think after that first fight, I I got comfortable in there. And it, like I said, I felt great. Uh, second fight, weight cut went even better. I probably started camp at like the low 90s, high 80s, and made weight. And, of course, that was my official camp where the opponent didn't change last minute. And I got mm-hmm. to uh, have someone who I got to study film, analyze, and see their bad habits. And I got out with the first round finish. The third fight was probably the best camp of my life. I because uh, I went right from October turnaround right into that uh, December fight. So I went back to back camps, and I knew I was getting that title shot against the then champ Jordan Kreider. I was just I came and I just went from camp to camp. I didn't have time to balloon up or get out of shape. And also I had been reeking the benefits of our nutritionist at the time. Uh, she had mm-hmm. been so insightful, and she had taught me so much about clean eating that I didn't really understand or embrace prior. And it really taught me how to just be a full-time athlete inside and outside of the gym. Just because I came in the gym every day and worked my tail off, worked harder than everyone else, it didn't necessarily mean I was doing everything I could because I wasn't treating my body properly outside of the gym. I wasn't nourishing it properly. I wasn't recovering it properly. So I reaped the benefits with her. I started camp at probably 183 pounds, got down to walking around at like 174 for that December title fight. Before uh, before the news hit that the then champ had pulled out six days prior to the fight, um, now I remember that way. I woke up at like 173, so I I remember sitting in the Epsom salt bath for maybe 20 minutes, and I was I was on weight. So that way cut went great, and that's when I really realized, hey, you know, I can definitely if with the proper discipline and information and guidance, I can definitely make this uh, lightweight cut. I knew it. I knew it was possible and because i'm a i study like i said i study everyone i study everything and i know the i know these heights I, you know i know i know tony ferguson's height i know his reach i know pettis's height i know his reach you know i I know these lightweights i know connor and i know his reach and i know you know some of these lightweights these bigger frame lightweights are just the same size as me they just aren't as thick as me so it just it'd take a little more discipline a little more road work and then uh, that the February fight, my fourth fight, my cut to a, that was supposed to be 170. Uh, well, I did make 170, actually. I just didn't say I was supposed to. I weighed in. Uh, Kreider weighed in again after he had already pulled out of the first one six days prior. It was set to go. The match was finally happening. And I, uh, at first, I didn't think, I, you know, I always knew there was a potential of him pulling out again because I don't know if he did research on Kreider himself, but he has a long history of pulling out of bouts. Mm. Uh, I think 12 or 13 to be exact, as an amateur. Good so I knew night. Was, yeah, I knew it was preposterous, and I knew the fight was probably not going to happen until the day of weigh-ins. And I saw him do weigh-ins, and I shook his hand, and I said, okay, this is going to happen. I made 170 on the dot, and then the night of the fight, uh, Jordan Kreider showed up, 
and stated that he didn't have his blood work done, which one is insane for someone who's a 10 fight veteran. The, the blood work is just not an excuse. That's not an excuse for a fighter. You know that you have to have blood work turned in. It's a sanctioned event. There's, you know if you don't do your blood work, there's no fight. And you know you're going to fight two months prior. So there's no excuse for why blood work shouldn't be turned in. Secondly, I had a small issue with the promoter on how that was handled because the promoter should have known Wednesday before the fight that uh, this, this fighter didn't have his blood work turned in. Why wasn't I notified? Why was I still here cutting weight? Why was I doing all these things when potentially my opponent didn't even have his blood work turned in and I might not have a fight when I sell, you know, 150-plus tickets to this, these events? So come to that Saturday night when, you know, Kreider had showed up to the venue and stated that he didn't have his blood work and the promoter scrambling, you know, realizing that he's about to have 150 people out there, very upset that, you know, Ian's not fighting. So thankfully there was this game opponent, this game fighter that is always game and always down to throw down. His name is James Schaefer. And he probably was walking around like 185, 189 the night of not cut it in, you know, he didn't cut any weight. He wasn't planning on fighting. He just happened to be there for another fighter he was cornering. And, you know, the promoter offered him, he said, hey, man, you want to save the day? And, of course, you know, I just wanted to fight, so I didn't care who we got. I didn't think I was going to get a fight. And uh, so, you know, this guy, you know, James Schaefer, who I'm actually very, very cool with, you know, very good friends with, and I appreciate him for taking that fight. Uh, he 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 wanted to fight, and they ended up making the fight, and they called it a middleweight bout. But I remember when they weighed when they weighed me the night of the fight, I was uh, 192, 193 pounds after I'd already made the 170 mark the night before, and this guy was walking in at 189, fresh as a daisy, didn't cut any weight, you know, didn't you know? So of course he wasn't in camp either, but he also didn't do nearly the same amount of suffering that I did. And that's when uh, the bout at middleweight was put on the tapology because of that circumstance with uh, James Shaper. Gotcha. Wow. Wow. What, it's what been a, a roller journey. coaster. Yeah. yeah all that yeah, is a roller coaster. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds. Uh, just a couple of final questions for you. On your Twitter, along with the Bang Muay Thai and the 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. There's a statement that leads everything off, and it says, all glory to God. Tell me what drove you to put that there and what that means to you. Uh, you know, as I said before, I've uh, had some struggles and slip-ups, and, you know, in my life, I just – you know, everyone has, everyone's got a story and everyone's came from somewhere. And uh, I'm proud of where I've came from, but uh, it definitely wasn't the easiest path. And I've had, like I said, I've battled with a lot of demons and a lot of different things. And I know uh, without God, none of this would have been possible. And I uh, truly at my lowest point ever is when I finally realized and allowed God to come into my life. And it changed a lot of things for me immediately. You know, I saw... I, saw things change in my life and my perspective and my mind immediately once I finally realized and truly embraced God. I've never denied God. I've always been a firm believer and I've always been a Christian, but I never allowed him, you know, to uh, 
to I've never allowed him to be a part of my life per se until mm-hmm. you know these recent years. And uh, like I said, uh, once I just finally stopped trying to take control and I let uh, you know or I let him take control, things just things got better. And like I said, it was like a weight was off my chest. I could see clear, and things just got put into perspective. And I know. I've had a couple scares, and uh, I know I'm here for a reason. I know God has me here for a reason. And so it's very important to me after every fight, you know, I first thing I say is, you know, all glory to God. I wouldn't be here without him. I wouldn't be here without my coaches, my team, my friends, my family, you know, and that's super important to me. And I, I'm, I'm never afraid to deny God, you know, ever to anyone. Well, you know what? I had other questions, but... I can't find or think of a better place to put a cap on things than with the statement that you just made. Uh, Last question for you, though. Uh, When are you scheduled to fight again? Uh, My next bout is scheduled for November 17th in Kokomo, Indiana at Coliseum Combat. All right. That's right. You did say uh, November 17th, and that date stuck in my mind because it's the day before uh, your man, the voice gets another year uh, wiser. So nice. That, nice. My brother. Yes. Yes. As soon as I asked, I said, no, he already said it was November 17th, but uh, yeah, well looking forward to getting the results of that fight. I know that comeback Coliseum has done some streaming, do you know uh, if they have anything of that nature set up for this fight, if the fight I, fans want to tune in? I do believe it will be streamed live on their Facebook page. Just follow them at Coliseum Combat. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll, I'll include that information in the show notes. Well, Ian, it has been absolutely phenomenal uh, spending time with you today again. Thank you so much for making time today and look forward to following your career and following up with you as you progress in your MMA career and in your life. Hey, hey, I much appreciation, brother. I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, I'm looking forward to following you too as well, The Voice. I'm looking forward to watching your career and your journey as well. And hopefully this is the start of a very beautiful friendship. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly, um, and and looking forward again, as you stated, to building a uh, beautiful friendship from this. All right, well, Fight fans, this has been round two of the MTMV Sports main card. I am your man, your fight correspondent, The Voice, talking with Ian Pompey Pomfret and You know, we encourage you to follow him on all social media and follow us, MTMV Sports, on all social media. Uh, If you're listening to this before UFC 229, I will be providing live coverage of UFC 229, round-by-round coverage. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook. You'll see all the same information in those three places. And until the horn sounds, I encourage you to fight the good fight. This 
is MTNV Sports. Sports fans rejoice. My team, my voice, and we're out. Have a good one, brother. <laughs>